This episode of On the Hop News is brought to you by Thinking Baseball, the only educational baseball app for coaches and players that allows users to see, hear, and touch the plays as they happen. Narrated by a legendary baseball broadcaster, Pat Hughes, and powered by a groundbreaking database, Thinking Baseball puts you on the diamond. Whether you're the cutoff man on a hit to the outfield or the first baseman trailing the batter on a sure double, everyone on the field has a job to do on every play. Learn to do it better with Thinking Baseball. Visit thinkingbaseball.com or download the free app from the Apple Store or Google Play today. It's time to get your head in the game. Today is April 29th, 2019, and this is Monday's edition of On the Hop. Good morning, baseball enthusiasts. Welcome to On The Hop, a daily baseball podcast focused on delivering up-to-date news from around the league. Lots to get to today, so without further ado, let's get Monday over with. Chris Sale is at it again, but not in the way the Red Sox were hoping. In the first and second inning of Sunday's game against the Tampa Bay Rays, Sale gave up a two-run homer and a two-run triple and lost another game to stand at 0-5 in six starts. Of course, I could just leave it at that, but it wasn't an absolutely terrible outing. He did go seven innings, giving up only four hits. Only two of the runs were earned, three walks, and actually struck out six. That's about one an inning. Even lowered his ERA. But the issue is those struggles early in the game create a hole that's very difficult to climb out of. Chris Sale has this to say about his performance and his team. I keep saying the same things over and over. It's a step in the right direction. Nobody wants to hear that, but I'd love to be sitting up here talking about wins and all that. At the end of the day, you've got to do what you've got to do. I'm grinding. I'm trying to find a way. We've got to start winning games. We've got to find a way, keep doing what we're doing, and just hope the other end of it changes. We're doing everything we've got to do. It's just not there right now. So a little small tidbit. As I was doing my research last night and this morning, these quotes by Sale literally bored me to tears. I love players that have personality as long as it's not narcissistic. And trying to find a professional athlete that's not entirely all about themselves is like trying to find a leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. Anyway, not only is Chris Sale's pitching performance uneventful from a pitching standpoint, but my goodness, I I know you're taught the sports cliche responses to reporters, but at at least try a little. Why even interview when your answers don't reveal anything new or provide any insight into a situation? Like I get it, but at the same time, I don't like it. Uh, getting back on track, it seems that this happens a lot. And by this, I mean a player in any sport gets a huge payday or a contract and their performance starts to wane. I'm not saying it's intentional, but that drive and that motivation slip away because you reached your financial goal. It's like there's this internal switch that gets turned off when you get that big payout. This feeling of, well, I finally proved myself. I accomplished what I set out to do. I'm secure now. So let's coast a bit because I know at any time I can snap out of it. Again, it's not intentional. I mean, I guess in some cases it is, but there's no way of knowing. But for now, Chris Sale is underperforming and Red Sox fans should be upset. Saturday night, Tim Anderson was at it again. In a tie game that went into two extra innings of bonus baseball, Anderson breaks the 11-11 tie with a solo blast off Tigers pitcher Joe Jimenez to win it. And how did he celebrate? With a repeat bat flip nearly identical to the one before. Well, let's be honest, it's it's not much of a bat flip. It's it's kind of like an underhanded shot put toss. Anderson made the following comment about the bat flip. I knew I had to do it. It's different. I did it again, so I'll let the people know it wasn't a fluke. It was definitely a great moment. Now, this gets me to thinking, was it really not a fluke? 
with the phrase such as, I knew I had to do it, that leads me to believe that as he walked out to the plate, he said to himself, now remember, Timmy, if you walk this off, don't forget to bat flip. Must let everyone know this is what I do no matter when I celebrate. Go get them. And, and here's another perspective. So during my league's opening day yesterday, in which I received some serious sunburn on my arms, I was talking with the catcher of our newly expansion team, about expansion team about two years ago called the Ghost Runners. And this was his comments to me. Anderson's bat flips aren't even real bat flips. They aren't even that good. His point was this. Bat flips are for showboating. Yes, for celebration, but also to let all in attendance know, even the opposition, that the batter won the battle. So now, and, and try to stay with me here, you've got people implying that Anderson's celebration with his bat isn't even true pimping of a home run. It's gone full circle. What do I mean by that? Well, fans and analysts criticized Anderson for how he celebrated, saying it was unprofessional. Don't show up the pitcher. But now that that story has died down, many, and it wasn't just my friends implying this, but many are poking fun at Anderson's bat flip on Saturday because it wasn't showing up the pitcher. Rather, it was only for his team, calling his bat flip weak. Like, so now it's the opposite. Things have changed. It all depends on the narrative and, and whoever could write a story on something. Maybe, maybe I just need my coffee, but you know, whatever gets you the clicks on the articles and videos, right? According to NBC Sports, Cubs shortstop Addison Russell is currently at AAA, getting into game shape before becoming eligible to rejoin the Major League squad on May 3rd following his 40-game suspension. But it appears that the Cubs organization is not handling the Russell situation very well. They allowed Russell to walk up to the song Beat It by Michael Jackson in April of last year. Manager Joe Madden really couldn't have cared less about Russell's wrongdoing. The Cubs chose to tender Russell a contract in the offseason, paying him $4.3 million this season. And now, Cheryl Ring of Fangraphs, also a lawyer, is saying that she has spoken to a member of the media who said that the Cubs privately instructed the particular person lay off of Russell, threatening reprisal. The Cubs are approving only stories that paint Russell in a positive light, especially stories of redemption. On April the 23rd, Bob Nightingale posted a piece that was very positive. Now, there's nothing wrong with positive news pieces that demonstrate a player's struggle to return to where they once were. And don't get it twisted. Many believe that Russell deserves the struggle that he's going through and that we should even label it as such because that implies he is fighting through things he never asked for. That's actually not true at all. A struggle is a struggle and no one enjoys going through them whether or not they are the cause of the struggle. But we love to hate the villain. And yes, Russell has earned this reputation. Abuse is wrong, always, physical, mental, and emotional. But trying to silence the media from telling their perspective on an issue just looks bad. The Cubs' handling of this situation has been puzzling at best. And Cheryl Ring is not the only one who has heard of the Cubs' threats. The Cubs' organization held on to Russell. So not only did they know what they were going to have to deal with, but they asked for it indirectly. Fine, you want to help a player become a better person? Great, commendable. And regardless of what anyone else thinks of the situation, the Cubs deal with it and move forward. They also have money invested in Russell, so let's not pretend that that's not a driving factor in seeing Russell return. But deal with it the right way. But a Bush League gag order is not the path to take. All right, injured list updates, rapid fire edition. According to Bleacher Report, the Padres will now have to reserve their star prospect, Fernando Tatis Jr., after he suffered an injury Sunday against the Washington Nationals when he stretched for a throw while covering second base. Hopefully it's not too serious, and at most a 10-day stint on the injured list. He did look like he was in a lot of pain, but oftentimes the most minor of injuries are excruciatingly painful. Again, Bleacher Report with the story. Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Christian Yelich was forced to leave Sunday's game against the New York Mets due to a lower back discomfort. As Yelich is the only real consistent bright spot in the Brewers lineup, this is a little concerning. Not necessarily for Yelich, but for the team. He tied a major league record of 14 home runs before May 1st with his home run on Saturday. Only Albert Pujols and Alex Rodriguez hold this record. 
Yelich has stayed fairly healthy in his young career, so this could provide some hope that the injury won't keep him sidelined for long. ESPN reports both DJ LeMahieu and Gio Urshela became the latest Yankees to get hurt as New York completed a three-game sweep of the San Francisco Giants with an 11-5 win on Sunday. LeMahieu was removed in the bottom of the third because of right knee inflammation. He says the injury is on the outer edge of his right knee. Manager Aaron Boone said after the game that he thought the infielder had a deep bruise, although x-rays taken during the game were negative. LeMahieu will have an MRI today in Phoenix. The injury stemmed from a foul pitch that LeMahieu rattled off his right knee in Friday's game. He finished that game and played all of Saturday's game. Following both, he had the knee wrapped with ice. Urshela, I'm going to say that name probably five more times in a completely different way, so bear with me. He left after he was hit on the left hand by an 88.5-mile-per-hour cutter from Nick Vincent in the fifth. The Yankees said x-rays on him were also negative. Urshela, who was hit on the top of his left hand just above the wrist, said no further testing would occur on his hand. Once I got hit, because of the pain and sensation you have, automatically you think the worst, he said. But eventually, I was able to move my fingers and got movement back and took a deep breath there. According to ESPN, Pittsburgh's right-hander Chris Archer was put on the 10-day injured list because of inflammation in the thumb on his pitching hand, which has bothered him for the last two starts. With three off days between now and May 6, the Pirates can get Archer some time to heal without needing a fifth starter. So that's definitely a positive. NBC Sports reports that White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez has been placed on the 10-day injured list with a high right ankle sprain. Jimenez sustained the injury in the early innings of the White Sox 12-11 win over the Tigers on Friday night. During the game, Jimenez was tracking down a home run that was hit into the left field bullpen. As he stuck out his right leg to brace himself against the wall, he fell to the warning track in pain. He was able to walk off the field, but did not see any more playing time the rest of the evening. It is expected for him to miss several weeks. Bleacher Report states New York Mets second baseman Robinson Cano left in the first inning of Sunday's game against the Milwaukee Brewers after being hit in the hand by Gio Gonzalez's pitch. The x-rays did come back negative, however. He also had x-rays taken of his hand after he was hit by a pitch against Andrew Miller back on April the 21st, so maybe he's just used to it. And as I read this article, I just realized that Robinson Cano is 36 years old. 36. It honestly feels like he was just in his prime in a Yankees jersey. This means I'm old, and it's slightly depressing. And with some positive Yankees news, the Yankees third baseman Miguel Andujar may rejoin the team next week after suffering a tear in his right labrum on March the 31st. Take a look at the link in the show notes to see the extensive plan that Aaron Boone has for Andujar's return, according to Bleacher Report. But the basic summation is he is progressing nicely, he is playing well, and looks healthy enough to return to the lineup. Undergoing season-ending surgery to repair the labrum tear was initially on the table for Andujar. Instead, he and the Yankees opted for rehab in hopes that he would be able to return to the field. Looks like they made the right call. Quick takes. According to Minor League Baseball's official website, the Iowa Cubs set a franchise and modern Pacific Coast League record with 15 runs in the first inning to take a decisive 19-5 victory over the Nashville Sounds Sunday night. Iowa sent 18 batters to the plate in the first inning, logged eight hits and six walks while getting grand slams from Phillip Evans and Johnny Field in that frame. It was the fifth time in PCL history that one team has hit two grand slams in a single inning. According to thescore.com, Dodgers outfielder Cody Bellinger hit a home run in the first inning against the Pittsburgh Pirates on Friday to set a new Major League record for total bases, 88, accrued before May 1st. I wonder how many people actually knew this was a record before it was broken. Maybe I'm ignorant. You have a bunch of stat heads crunching numbers sitting around a table. They see Bellinger run around the bases and think he sure is touching a lot of bags. Anybody up for creating a new record just for job security? Seriously, the previous record, get this, the previous record was held by Chase Utley in 2008 with 85 total bases before May 1st. But Bellinger broke the record with his first hit of the game Friday, which meant he had 87 total bases before the game, so he had already broken the record before anybody heard or reported about it. 
Anyway, very impressive. He is also on pace to hit 75 home runs this year, so there's that. According to NBC Sports, White Sox starter Renato Lopez had himself a day against the Tigers on Sunday afternoon. The right-hander limited the opposition to an unearned run on two hits and three walks while striking out 14 batters over six innings. Lopez is the first member of the White Sox to strike out at least 14 since, guess who? Yep, Chris Sale. I wonder if this was before or after he went all Incredible Hawk on the White Sox retro jersey. Either way, 78% of Lopez's outs came via the strikeout. In related news, according to ESPN, the Chicago White Sox entered their series finale on Sunday against the Tigers with the worst rotation ERA in baseball and second worst overall mark. They exited it with a new strikeout record. Renato Lopez, which I just talked about, and three relievers combined to strike out 20 Tigers and a Chicago 4-1 win at Guaranteed Rate Field. That tied the MLB record for a nine-inning game. According to ESPN Stats and Info, the White Sox became the seventh team to record 20 strikeouts in a nine-inning contest. According to Bleacher Report, with a two-run double in the first inning Sunday, Los Angeles Angels star Albert Pujols moved into third place on MLB's all-time RBI list. As a result, the 10-time All-Star passed Barry Bonds with only 89 RBI separating him from Alex Rodriguez in second place. Hank Aaron is the RBI king, driving in 2,297 runs over his Hall of Fame career. Can Pujols claim the top spot? I'd sure love to see it. On a night that at first was overshadowed by Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s debut, Nationals' Carter Keboom hit a game-tying home run in his own debut against the Padres Friday night. Keboom hit a solo shot to dead center in the bottom of the eighth inning to tie the game late. He received a standing ovation from the crowd, and a video of his parents' reaction was priceless. Keboom had this to say, I'm not sure I've never even dreamed that. But that was unbelievable. That's like the cherry on top of anybody's call-up moment. That was real special. I really appreciate the fans for doing that. But hold on. With the Nationals trailing 4-3 to in the bottom of the ninth, Keyboom comes to the plate again with the bases loaded. He worked the count even at 2-2 two and two as Padres closer Kirby Yates delivered the next pitch. Mighty Casey has struck out. Sorry, I had to do it. And of course, the bell of the ball. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had himself a night as well on Friday. After nearly going yard in his second at bat, he recorded his first career hit to lead off the bottom of the ninth. His double down the right field line would set the stage for Brandon Drury's two-run walk-off. There is definitely a lot of excitement in the air in regard to baseball right now. Marcus Stroman even said, it's like having Zion Williamson on your team. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of talent. That's all, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Monday's edition of On The Hop News. And remember, the two most important things in life are good friends and a strong bullpen. I wouldn't know. I'm an Orioles fan. Talk with you tomorrow. 